Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Rosh Hashanah, daf Lamed Aleph, page 31. Well, our CM is fast approaching. We just have a few more days, so please sign up and join us. Let us know if you want to share some Torah uh, and some thoughts that you had about this. Actually, really, I don't know. I enjoyed this Masachet a little more than the previous one. Um, I think Rosh Hashanah is really filled with a lot of deep ideas. Uh, so if you want to share something with us, let us know. The registration link is floating around on Facebook, on our WhatsApp group, or just shoot me an and a email, please. Um, so just a couple of things here before we get to the next Mishnah. Uh, I'm going to handle the, the pre-Mishnah part of the DAV. Um, so the beginning of the DAV goes through the, shir, the different Shir Shalom, <coughs> as we would call it today, or the different hymns that were sung by the Levium uh, every day in uh, the Beit HaMikdash. And one of the things that I, many of you probably noticed is, is that it corresponds to the Shir Shalyoms that we say in our davening every day. So the one that's mentioned for, I'm not going to read the whole passage, the one that's mentioned for Sunday for Yom Rishon is the same one that we see today in our Sidor. And I think this is interesting because, you know, there was no sitter at the time of the Beit HaMikdash. So just want to sort of point out and mention that some of the things that we do do in the Sidor are part of our daily tefillah do come from, you know, things that were done in the Beit HaMikdash. And there sort of was a uh, need to sort of save or to remember some of the things as they were said, some of the tefillot or the ways that they were sung as they were said in the Beit HaMikdash itself. So we see that on this page, because when you're reading that first passage on the top of our top with all the different Shir Shalyams, it corresponds directly to what we do today in our tefillah. Um, so that was the first point that I wanted to make. Uh, the next is the Gemara then sort of moves on uh, to uh, something a little bit different. And it goes through this idea of sort of these uh, travels that the Shechina and that the Sanhedrin had to do. That it recognizes that the Shechina, right, sort of the divine presence that was in the Beit HaMikdash and the Sanhedrin itself needed to travel. In other words, they sort of get get kept getting further and further away from where they should have been, the Shechina and the Beit HaMikdash, the Sanhedrin and Yerushalayim, right? And sort of uh, had to continue to get more and more exiled. So I'm a Rabbi Huda Bar-Idi, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Huda Bar-Idi says this in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Eser Masaot Nasa Shechina Mikra'ei Ukenegdam Galta Sanhedrin Migamara. So he says that the Shechina, sort of the way he says it is it traveled 10 journeys, right? So it leaves the Beit HaMikdash and Eretz Yisrael. And they're referring here to sort of the 10 stages of destruction that happen in the first temple. And it's derived from the verses. So basically what they're going to do is, is that we'll, they'll list what the 10 stages were. And then they'll go back and show through all the Pesukim how did those 10 stages happen? That each one of these was sort of predicted by one of the Nevi'im as, uh, you know, uh, as a stage of where the Shechina was going to go or, or, or have to remove further and further. But notice that it's from Mikra'e, right? We find it in the Pesukim. Ukenegdan galta Sanhedrin. And similarly, or sort of in parallel, the Sanhedrin was also exiled. And here what we're saying is that the Sanhedrin was exiled sort of during the st- 10 stages of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, right? And how do we know this? Migmara, we know this from tradition. So what he's doing here is he's sort of setting up these two parallel tracks. We know that the second Beit HaMikdash was different than the first Beit HaMikdash, right? 
there were certain signs of God's presence in the second that were in the first Beit Hamikdash that were not present in the in the second Beit Hamikdash. Primarily, there was no Aaron and there was no Urim Vitumen. So, sort of those two real signs of God's presence being there. Now, again, I'm not trying to say that God's presence isn't something physical, but there were fundamental differences with sort of how the first Beit Hamikdash operated versus the second Beit Hamikdash, and so he's sort of very beautifully sort of setting up the Sanhedrin, right? That Torah learning. And I think this makes sense that this comes within a discussion of the Takanot that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made, which is really trying to rethink what Judaism is going to look like with no Beit HaMikdash at all, right? After the destruction of the second temple. So to sort of further that notion that what that is going to look like is sort of in the hands of the Sanhedrin, of Chazal, of that rabbinic, Judaism, he's making this parallel by saying that the same way that the Shekhinah was exiled, the same, you know, that is what happened to the Sanhedrin. That is what happened to Chazal, which basically was supposed to be sort of, in a way, the continuation of the presence of the Shekhinah in the Beit HaMikdash, except now it's centered around Torah learning. So he starts first with the Masaot of the Shekhinah, Esar Masaot Nasa Shekhinah, Mikra'e, Mikapor, Lekruv, Umikruv, Lekruv, Umikruv, Lemiftan, Mitan, Lechatzer, Mechatzer, Lemizbeach, Umimizbeach, Lagag, Migag, Lechoma, Mihuma, Lair, Meir, Lahar, Mihar, Lamidbar, Umibar, Tabi, Ashrav, Mekomash, and Amar, Ela, Ashuba, El Mekomi. So he's talking about these 10 journeys, right? It goes from the art cover to the Kruv, right? The cherub that was on top, from one cherub to the other cherub, from the cherub to the thresholds of the sanctuary from the threshold to the courtyard, from the courtyard to the altar, from the altar to the roof, from the roof to the wall of the Temple Mount, basically, from the wall to the city and from the city to a mountain that was close to Yerushalayim and from the mountain to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, it's sort of, that's where it is, right? Like in other words, the Gatshina is now in the in the wilderness. And he bases this on a passage from Hosea chapter five, verse 15, which says, I will go and return to my place. And so then they quote a series of psukim um, that um, that shows how the Shekhinah moves um, from all of these uh, from all of these places. Um, and um, uh, so you can read all those psukim. I'm not going to uh, that I'm not going to go through exactly. Um, but it starts with psukim that start in Shemot and and basically go through. Um, you know, all the way through Hosea again, right? It quotes from a variety of different firm in Tanakh. Um, and then Rabbi Yochanan, uh, you know, and then finally we conclude with Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Shisha Chodeshim Bamidbar. So Rabbi Yochanan finally says that, you know, there was sort of, uh, uh, oh, and let me just be clear about something. This Rabbi Yochanan is like the first generation Amora that we're talking about. This is not Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. They, they are named differently. That um, you know the the Shechina sort of waited for six months. Once it was to, you know in the midbar in the wilderness, Shama Yachsaru B'Tshuva, right? Maybe that the Jewish people would sort of return. Kevan Shalochazru Amar Tipach Atzman, and once they you know even after the destruction of the first temple, they still didn't do Tshuva, right? So they basically said, okay, it, they're just going to be lost, right? The Jewish people are just going to be lost. And Amar and here they quote a pasuk from Eov chapter 11, verse 20, right? But the eyes of the wicked shall fail and there shall, there shall have no way to flee and their hope shall be drooping out of the soul. 
very depressing end, right? It's basically saying that the Shechina and they didn't find them. I'm also struck by sort of this parallel between that us as a nation begin in the Midbar and then the Shechina, the destruction of the first temple also ends in the Midbar. I think there's something literary here, but again, with the death, I'm not sure that I have time to totally unpack that. And then finally, then we move on to the Sanhedrin, Ukenegzangalta Sanhedrin, Mikamara. So the, now we're going to go through the 10 exiles of the Sanhedrin, which we get from tradition. Milishkad Hagazit Lachanut, right? So from the chamber of the hewn stone, uh, that was sort of the, the fixed place for the Sanhedrin, to Chanut, which was sort of this other spot out uh, on the temple mat outside of the temple itself. Umi Chanut Yishalayim, and then from Chanut to Yishalayim, Umi Yishalayim Liyavna, so and finally it rests in Tiberia. So basically they're listing here all of these Tanaitic cities, okay, that we have seen pop up that many of the Tanaim lived in, had their Batemi Drashin. Um, you can basically go to the Galil and you could take a tour of all of these different cities. So that piece of this is very interesting. But if you also notice, it doesn't keep moving on to a place that's farther and farther away, right? It keeps going like from Yavna to Usha, then from Usha back to Yavna. So there's, you know, some of these cities get repeated. There's a lot of sort of movement back and forth there. And then finally it goes to the place that is lower than all of them, which is Tiveria, Right. And uh, and I brought you down and you shall speak out of the ground, which is a pasuk from Yishayahu. So it's interesting uh, that, you know, they want to say that this is sort of from tradition, but they do conclude it showing a pasuk from Yishayahu to sort of tie it all together. Rabbi Elazar comes and he says, really, there was only six exiles because you're counting the number of places, not the number of journeys, right? Because some of those cities... Uh, actually repeat. Again, he also quotes a pasuk. And then finally, Rabbi Yochanan, one, not wanting to end this sort of on a depressing note, says, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan, misham atidin right? And so from there, from their lowest place of descent, which means Tiveria, which is interesting, they're destined to be redeemed, right? As it says, shake off uh, from Yishayo, very famous pasuk, chapter 52, verse 2, shake yourself from the dust, arise and sit Jerusalem. So Yerushalayim is mentioned in that pasuk, but it's sort of interesting that also, like, I'm not quite sure if Rabbi Yochanan's referring specifically to these places in the north, right, into the Galil, but it seems to go back to Yerushalayim ultimately. Um, And, um, uh, you know, it just, it's a, it's, it's a sad passage, but I think it fits in here because we're, we're talking about this whole theme about sort of the correctives that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai needed to do. And remember when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai starts these correctives, that's actually just the start of the exile of the Sanhedrin, right? He's the one who requests, and notice there's a lot of movement after that movement to Yavna. So, um, but, but again, I think part of the other purpose of this passage is to, you know, sort of show the, the, the exile of the Sanhedrin, the exile of rabbinic Judaism was similar to the exile of the Shekinah. So I want to go back to something you said about the daf having its literary um, elements here, because I feel like the beginning of the daf with its discussion of the Shir Yom, which is obviously from the temple, but as you say, it's in our liturgy now. And then everything that happens on the daf kind of after that is bringing us to this time of no Beit HaMikdash, meaning 
it's discussing the phenomenon of what what did they do to to keep things going and and even the hope of you know redemption to the extent that there would be no exile and the Sanhedrin in exile all of these different things I feel like were we got the the you know the this expression to say that you get the medicine before you even know that you have a problem so I feel like this stuff did that a little bit by giving us the pieces of the liturgy, right? The recognition that there's going to be liturgy, so to speak. So that we still do have this Sidor motif that, that allows us to turn to God, even from exile. I, this is totally drash. I'm not saying this is the shot of the daf, but I think that it, it is constructed in a way that you said it ends up being depressing. I feel like it, it does, but it also ends up, I think, being hopeful in the sense that we know here, two thousand year plus years later, we know that we're here, right? We know that we're, we've got the system in place that is not the temple, and that's depressing. But it's still its own form, and that is the opposite of depressing. Meaning, it it, it rabbinic Judaism worked. Well, I that's actually a great read on this, right? I I tend to go dark. <laughs> Right. What, what this is basically saying is, don't worry. The same way we survived the Shekhinah leaving the first Beit HaMikdash, we're going to survive the sun. Judaism is going to survive, even though the Sanhedrin had to move around as well. Right. Right. I mean, listen, it's terrible what was going on. I don't mean to. I don't mean to downplay that. No, I'm just I, saying I that we have are, a different vantage. Right. I think that's sort of the positive way to look at what it's saying here. It's saying that that it will still be preserved. We're still going to continue. Right. Okay. I'm going to now take the Mishnah. This is on Amabet. We have more um, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai decreed. So basically, you know, they establish that the Sanhedrin, and, and again, the end of the Gemara right before a Mishnah talks about the thing that then that Mishnah is going to talk about, which chronologically does not make sense, right? The Mishnah was, you know, existed before that piece of Gemara, um, but but um, literarily, I suppose, as we follow through the Daf, your Dana, you've already talked about the Sanhedrin. Um, here it is in the Mishnahic level. Right, that you're going to have the head of the court even if the head of the court could be in any place at the time that the Sanhedrin is in session, once you have that Sanhedrin in session, the witnesses are not accepted anywhere else. They're going to be accepted wherever that great Sanhedrin is sitting, meaning it might have moved around, but it's still always going to be um, itself in one place, as opposed to having smaller courts receiving witnesses. Everybody should note right away we're in we're in Aramaic, so this is a later piece of Gemara. So it's a case that was about a particular woman who was called to the court before Amemar in Naharda, um, and this is of course going to be the comment on the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah that says they have to accept the witnesses only in the place of the Great Sanhedrin. Azal Amemar, and, and Naharda is in Bavel, right? Azal Amemar Lamachoza. But Amemar wasn't there in Naharda. He had gone to Mechoza, below Azla Batre. But she did not go after him. She didn't follow him to Mechoza. 
Ketav Peticha Ilava. Ilava. Um, rather, so what he did in the end was he wrote a, a document of excommunication, meaning she's to be excommunicated. So Rav Ashi says to Amemar, hang on, you know, didn't we learn this exact Mishnah, that even if the head of the court is in a different place, the witnesses should still go to the place where the Sanhedrin is. Meaning, what are you doing with your courtly things over there from Machoza? Come back before you do such activities. Amar so Amemar says back, so members says, no, they were talking about Eidot HaChodesh, getting the testimony for the new moon specifically. Because otherwise you could really end up with witnesses going every which place and and you would not have a central authority to, to establish the Rosh Chodesh. But in this case, meaning it was a case of just a, a court case, you know, where she was coming for judgment. It wasn't a a uh, national issue. So the claim here is it's a it's a verse from Proverbs from Mishlei. Evid Lovet, the borrower, is the servant to the lender, meaning the defendant, this woman, needs to be act she has to follow the convenience of the court. And that includes, I think, the the claim. So in this case, she really should have followed him, right? She should have followed him because that's the issue of the court case, that that wherever the court is, she needs to show up there. What I find interesting about this, of course, is like the presumption. We know nothing about this case. We only know the details of this. She was supposed to follow him for the sake of getting the judgment wherever he was going to be located, contrast to the Mishnah, because it's a different kind of detail, uh, a different kind of case. But, but you know, I don't know, the, the idea that everybody is going to know this, right? And a Maymar seems to think that she should have known this because otherwise she would, I mean, otherwise why would he have excommunicated her? I feel like there's something like, there's a lot of assumptions going on behind the scenes, which I feel like we, in our day, reading back about the story, don't know. Maybe it was a very huge case and everybody knew about it then, but we do not. Yeah, I mean, I think all of these different, you know, tech on note are interesting. It's also interesting to see how varied they are, right? Like they're really yes. all about a variety of different things. And I, it, you know, I, I don't know, I would love to have gotten into Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's head to understand, like, how did he pick these and not other things? I mean, yes, some of them are very sort of, uh, there's one theme, which is sort of making sure that we do something because otherwise people would not, in other words, something's not being done anymore in the temple. So it's wanting to do something so that sort of uh, an action that was done in the temple will be done in front of people uh, so they understand that piece, you know, that that this was something that was done or it's part of our tradition is, you know, uh, celebrated or, or observed. Um, but But they don't, but there isn't necessarily sort of, I mean, I guess that's what the unifying theme is. Well, I, believe it or not, I once wrote a paper on these decrees, um, and I wasn't the first, right? Meaning I was doing research of people who had already written about these decrees. <clears throat> and I would say, I mean, also I had to know the decrees, but I think what jumps out when you look at them all in context, right? There's nine of them. You look at them all together, is that he's establishing a central authority 
that isn't dependent on the temple in contrast to the central authority that the temple had been. And everything kind of does that. So here, you know, yeah, the, the Rosh Beitim might go traveling, but you witnesses, you only go to that place of the central authority. And then when Amemar clarifies and says that it's specifically about Rosh Chodesh, I would say even more so, because that it's not every little court case that it has to be in only one place. But these things of national import, specifically, and, and several of the, the decrees do have to do with Kiddush HaChodesh. Kiddush HaChodesh is like the, the main rabbinic authority in the wake of Abed HaMikdash, right? It, meaning that's what continue, they set the calendar. That's that's everything, right? All the times that Torah learning is replacing the Kermanot, all the times that Tfilah, some of those things happen the next generation with Rabbi Gamliel. But but here, all of it, I think all of it, is to establish the authority that there is rabbinic authority in the absence of a temple. Right. And and remember, that's also within the context of that there were all these sort of different sects. Everybody was trying to sort of vie for, you know, who, what's the future going to be? Um, and that's why we see those passages about the Samaritans and the Baitusim. And, you know, so, yes, so this is, it's about Jewish, it's about establishing uh, the rabbinic authority, you know, and also for Jewish continuity as well. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rink us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.